Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 18. We'll read it together in unison. The Word of God says, Where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. And let's pray. Lord, we've talked about this theme of vision uh, several times over the year. We've had it before us. We've asked you to give us a vision in different areas. And Lord, we come to you once again asking you for a vision, a vision from God's Word, a vision from the Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask that you'd help us to see what the Word of God wants us to do, that, that revealed will of God. We pray that you'd help us to see a personal vision for what you have for each one of us, that unrevealed will of God that you show to us as we obey you. And Lord, today as we kind of review the year, uh, would you help this message just to kind of tie it all together? And Lord, we don't ask for a partial vision, but we ask for a complete vision, a vision in every area, a vision of what you want for us, of how you would have us live, because we know that's what is best. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Our theme this year, of course, has been vision. We've talked about this verse. Uh, We've talked about having a vision from God. Uh, We know that this verse is speaking of the vision here, is speaking of vision from God, Uh, specifically the the Word of the Lord. Uh, When God doesn't talk, you don't know what God wants. God doesn't show you what is to be, what His will is, what His desire is, the way He planned for things to go. Uh, People perish. It's a matter of life and death. Uh, We need a vision from God. Uh, Thankfully, we live in a day where God has given us the written vision. And we preached in the beginning of the year how uh, that God's written vision is supreme to any other vision. Uh, God's word trumps whatever experience you have or what, what a dream you may have had. If it's not in agreement with the word of God, then it's not from God. Uh, The supremacy of the written vision. It's sad to me, though, how many people don't know what the Bible says. How many even people that call themselves Christians don't know what the Bible says. used to be, even when I was a child, that uh, people would have a general idea of what the Bible said. Uh, They would know the story of Adam and Eve. They would know the gospel story. They may not have all the details right, but there was a general understanding of the things of God. And boy, we've seen Satan over the years just work so hard to remove God's Word and all thought of the true God from public discourse, from public remembrance. I mean, taking crosses out, removing Ten Commandments, not praying in Jesus' name. I mean, just doing everything he can do to erase the truth of God. And we live in a society today where many people are Bible ignorant. They just don't know what the Bible says. And because of that, we see people perishing. Look at the public school system and see the little children dying for lack of knowledge. Look at the high school. Drive by South Kingstown High School and see the people searching and stumbling through the dark because they have no vision from God. See parents trying to do the best they can, but all they know is what they've read in a magazine or what they saw from their parents or what they saw on TV stumbling through the darkness of trying to raise a family while having no idea how to do so. Everywhere you look, people are perishing for 
lack of knowledge. It ought not be so in the church house. If anybody knows what God wants, it ought to be God's people. And that's why we work so hard here to preach and teach the Word of God. When you come to Curtis Corner Baptist Church, we're not going to talk about what you think or what I think. We're going to talk about what God says. And we'll show you verse after verse of, of what the Bible says and what God says. And it's not uncommon for someone to visit our church or even visit our church or come to our church from a, another church in the, the community. And they'll say after a few weeks, they'll say something like this. They'll say, Pastor, I've learned more in a few weeks being at this church than I have in years. Because we are focused on teaching the Word of God. And this morning, we're going to show you the Word of God. And I encourage each one of you that make, your, make it a lifetime goal that you're just going to study God's Word. That you're going to grow in the knowledge of God's Word. And uh, you, you want to find out what God's Word says about any area of your life. You want to have a good marriage? Find out what God says. You want to raise kids? Find out what God says. You want to be a good worker? Find out what God says. You want to take care of your money? Find out what God says. God's Word is the answer. And the Bible says this, and, and Peter said that it has all things that pertain unto life and godliness. So the Bible doesn't tell us everything we want to know, but it tells us everything we need to know. And so why in the world wouldn't we study it? And I encourage you, get on a Bible study plan or Bible reading plan this year. Read the Bible every day. Work through the Bible. I was thrilled a few months ago, someone that's been coming to our church for a while, and, and they're starting to grow in the Lord. And they said, you know what, I'm, I'm trying to read through the Bible. And they showed me their Bible reading plan. And they said, well, I'm not, not quite on it, but I'm doing better than I ever have. And I'm like, praise God for that. It's every day trying to get into the Scripture and read and read. I remember when I was first just a young Christian, and uh, I wasn't in the habit of reading the Bible every day. My goal was to read one verse a day. Amen. Think about that, one verse a day. I mean, there would be times where I'm laying in my bed, 1145 at night, and the Holy Spirit said, you didn't read your verse today. And I'd roll over out of bed, turn on my light, and go grab my Bible and flop it open wherever it fell and read a verse. And all nations shall serve him and his son and his son's son until the very time his land came. And then many nations and great kings shall serve themselves. Woo! Say, preacher, what that mean? I have no idea. I have no idea. And, but I was just trying to get into the habit of reading the Scripture every day. And then that turns into a chapter a day. And then chapters a day. And then more and more time a day, and then studying the Word of God. I encourage you, if you've been saved a long time, don't stop just reading God's Word. Study God's Word. Uh, pull out some truths when you're reading. Keep a, keep a note journal. Keep, keep tabs, and uh, a word will jump out at you. A phrase will jump out. And, and take that and study it later. Look it up. We've got resources in the book corner, and, and we can lead you and guide you. Look, look up those things and begin to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. And uh, this is the vision. Uh, where there is no vision, the people perish. If you turn that on the other side, where there is vision, people thrive. The rest of that verse says, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. And so the vision is the answer. Now we've talked about this vision all year long. We've talked about it from different ways to look at it. Uh, We've talked about having a vision from God. Let me just encourage you that what I'm talking about is not having a personal dream. You know, you, you listen to motivational speakers and self-help books, and they'll say, have your dream, and I'm not opposed to that. But boy, it's a lot better if your dream's from God. And if you're doing what God wants you to do. 
And so when I talk about a vision from God, I'm not talking about a vision fueled by human ambition, vain desires, or deceitful lusts. I'm talking about a vision from the Spirit of God. And some of you have this year tried to have that. You say, preacher, I want to have a vision. But for many, that vision is still a partial vision. We have a vision from God in one area of life, but not in another. It's amazing as Christians how we can compartmentalize our lives. And we'll say, okay, I'll have God in this part of my life, and I'll just do my own thing over here. Well, I encourage you today to have a complete vision from God. Many people have a partial vision. They have moments of clarity. They have areas of understanding. But I believe today God wants us to have a complete vision. So by way of review, I'm going to give you some things, uh, some areas that I think you need to have a vision in. Many of this, much of this will be a review. Some of it will be new. But I'm going to go very quickly. Uh, you can write these things down. You can listen to this sermon later on online. But I want you to have these, these ten areas and say, I'm going to ask God to give me a vision in these ten areas. Because if I can get a vision in these ten areas, I can have a complete vision. I can have a vision of what God wants for each area of my life. And so let's dive in. I say number one. In a complete vision, number one, a vision of the sovereign. A vision of the sovereign. Look at Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, we see Isaiah had a vision of God. And the sovereign is just a fancy word for God. It's the one who's in control. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. You see that? I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. This is holy ground to me, and I'd like to stop and look at it. And, and uh, it's hard for me even to read this and, and not get caught up in it. But I believe for the purpose of this sermon, God wants us just to mention it. And you can study it later, and we've talked about it many times over the years. But having a, a true vision of God. You, you know... Many churches and many people want to take God and pull Him down to man's level. God's not a man. He's high and lifted up. He's holy and righteous. And where do, you don't get close to God by pulling God down to you. You get close to God by allowing God to lift you up to Him. Verse 2, we see, And above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings, and with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And I'm talking today about getting a vision of the Sovereign. See, you need to have a clear vision of God Almighty, a vision of, of God as He is, not as you want Him to be. So many religious people have this a concoction of who they think God is in their mind, and maybe a little bit of Buddhism here, and a little bit of Hinduism here, and a little bit of New Ageism here, and a little bit of Spiritism here, and they, they create this rag doll vision of, of the God that they would like to have, my friend, there's only one God, and His name's Jehovah, and He's the true God, and He's high and lifted up. 
And you're either serving the true God or you're serving a, a falsity, an idol. And we need to see God as He is. You say, how can we know God? Because God has revealed Himself through the Scriptures. The only way we can know about God is as He reveals Himself to us. If you want to get to know me, the best way to get to know me is ask me questions. Listen to what I say. You can go to other people. You can go to other people talk about me. If I want to get to know my wife, if I want to get to know my wife's thoughts, I don't go talk to 13 different people about what they think my wife's thinking. I just go talk to my wife. And I get, I get what she said. And so <laughs> the best way to learn from God, the only way to learn from God, is for Him to reveal Himself to us. And He did that through the Scriptures. We need a vision of God. Notice what happens when you get a vision of the sovereign. Isaiah said, woe is me, for I am undone. See, when you get a vision of God, it'll humble you. There's a huge problem with pride in this world today. That's because humanism. Humanism lifts people up. I'm the God of my life. I'll do what I want. Nobody will tell me what to do. It's my life. I'll do what I want with it. Well, you haven't, you haven't seen God. Because you get in the presence of God and you see Him, your, your knees get weak. Your hands start to tremble. Your lips will start to tremble. You'll fall on your face and you'll say, Woe is me, for I am undone. You see, when we see God for who He is, it's life-changing. We need a vision of the Sovereign. Let me say number two, if we want a complete vision, we need a vision of the Savior. Look at Acts chapter 4. We see the apostle preaching here. Look at verse 10. Be it known unto you all and to all people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Amen. See, Peter and John, they saw a vision of the, the Savior. They knew who the Savior was. They knew who the Messiah was, and His name was Jesus Christ. Now the people that heard this, the people that saw the the, the, the strength of their stand and the, heard the power of their words, they acknowledged that who were these people? Yeah. Verse 13, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. They must have been Baptists, amen? They were unlearned and ignorant men. They marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. You see, folks, you spend time with, with the Savior, it'll change you. The truth is, you go nowadays to these seminaries and the best seminaries and the Harvards and the Yales and the seminaries of around the world, they'll mess you up more than they'll help you. The thing you need is time with Jesus, is time in the Word, is walking with God. You'll learn more in a good, uh, independent, fundamental Baptist church. You'll learn more doctrine about God than if you went to one of these dead seminaries somewhere that just destroyed your faith in the Savior. We see a vision of the Savior. There's a world that doesn't know who the Savior is. They're looking for the Savior. They're looking for a political Savior. They think Bernie's going to save them. They think Warren's going to save them. 
Pelosi's going to save them. Schumer's going to save them. They think Trump's going to save them. Folks, there, there's no political savior. We need a spiritual savior. They think education's going to save them. They think money's going to save them. There's only one savior. And his name is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And he was crucified and God raised him from the dead. And through his name is salvation and power. Do you know who the Savior is? That leads us to the third item for a complete vision. We saw a vision of the Sovereign, a vision of the Savior. What about a vision for salvation? Don't turn to it. Matthew twenty-two forty-two. 42. Jesus asked, What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They say unto him, The son of David. Yo, God's going to come to each one of you today and say, What think ye of Christ? Is he just a prophet? Is he just a teacher? Was he just a holy man? I was reading something recently, and it's interesting. Uh, a secular magazine was talking about Christmas time. They were talking about the good works of Jesus. They don't mind you putting Jesus on the same level as Mother Teresa. They don't mind you putting Jesus on the same level of a good person doing good things. Maybe a self-help guru. Maybe a spiritual icon. But don't call him the Son of God. And see, once you realize who the Savior is, now the decision becomes personal. Who is Jesus to you? What think ye of Christ? And each one of us has to answer that question in our hearts. And your eternal destiny depends upon it. You'll spend forever in heaven or forever in hell based on how you answer that question. What think ye of Christ? Oh, he's a good man. Then you miss the point. He's the Savior. He's the Son of the living God. He's not just the Son of David, although He is. He's not just a king that's going to rule and reign from Jerusalem, although He will. He's the Savior, the Son of the living God. John 3, 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. John 3, 7, Jesus said to a very religious man, a moral man, an educated man, probably a wealthy man, a respected man. But he said to this religious leader, Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. It's a vision for salvation. Nicodemus, who am I? Nicodemus came and said, Rabbi, teacher, master. He respected him. But Jesus said, your respect isn't enough. And your degrees aren't enough. And your experiences aren't enough. And your time in the temple's not enough. And your dedication isn't enough. Ye must be born again. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Those articles, the there, it's an interesting, in Greek it means the one and only. I am the one and only way. I am the one and only truth. 
I am the one and only life. And see, sometimes religious people, they get upset because we claim that Christ is the exclusive way to heaven. It's not Paul Chapman claiming that. It's Christ claiming that. It's not Paul Chapman. It's not Curtis Corner Baptist Church saying that. It's the Word of God saying that. A vision for salvation. See, are you getting a complete vision today? Have you been born again? If not, today's a good day to be saved. Why in the world would you live another day condemned by your own sin? When freedom, freedom is available. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You don't have to join a church. You don't have to go to Mecca. You don't have to go to the Jerusalem Wailing Wall. You just need to bow your heart, confess your sin, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And He'll save you. We see a vision for the sovereign, a vision for the Savior, a vision for salvation. Number four, you want a complete vision? A vision for service. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The pastor who started the church where I was saved, Robert Ross, this was his life verse, and I thank God for that man every day of my life. Started a little country church out in a town called Jasonville, Indiana, a thriving metropolis of 1,200 people. We live six miles outside of town. That little church preached the gospel there for all those years, running buses all over the county, sending soul winners out Thursday nights, Saturday mornings. I'm thankful that the Lord used him and that church and those sweet people to bring me the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the worship of the Lord. Is that what it says? I want you to look at me real quick. I want you to look at me. I'm all for worshiping God. But so many churches are so focused on worship, they're not working. God deserves your worship. But what about the people next door that don't know who God is? What about the people you work next to every day and they don't know who the Savior is? It's amazing how we can worship Him on Sunday and not tell anybody about Him the rest of the week. Look what the Scripture says. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Here's a wonderful promise, folks. I want you to look at me. Some of you are working hard. You're trying to be faithful. But you feel like it's just not working. You feel like my family's not getting saved. My, my life's not, not what I think it ought to be. I'm, I'm not having the impact that I think I want to be. You need to stop looking at yourself. And what you're doing is you're living by sight. I'm not seeing what I want to see. Well, the Bible says very specifically, we live by faith and not by sight. So we need to understand that through the Scriptures and by faith, that as we serve the Lord and as we're always abounding in the work of the Lord, that God is working in ways that we can't see. And He's making sure that our labor is not in vain. There's never a sacrifice for Christ that doesn't matter. 
There's never a work that you perform. There's never a labor in the name of the Lord that is going to vanish. And in truth, it lasts forever. We have a vision for service. Let me ask you, what are you doing for God? How are you using your talents for God? You say, I, I don't know what to do. Well, there's always something that needs to be done. There's always things around the church that need done. We got people, they say, boy, preacher, I could never teach a Sunday school class. No, but you can, you're good with the hammer. People say, well, preacher, I could never, I could never preach a sermon. Can you run a vacuum cleaner? Can you hold a baby in the nursery? Some of you can preach. Everybody ought to be telling people about Jesus. Every, everything done around here happens because people serve. And the buses go out because people drive them, people visit, people pick up the kids, people take care of the kids. Downstairs, there's a nursery going on that had to be cleaned this week. It had to be stocked. There's workers down there working. There'll be new, different workers down there tonight, different down there Wednesday night. The uh, children's church down there, people down there working. Everywhere you look, and, and let me just explain to you folks, the more people we have with a vision for service, the more we're able to accomplish. Yeah, yeah. The more we're able to do. We have nursing homes that we're not in. We have doors that haven't been knocked on yet. We have people to visit that didn't get a visit this week because we just didn't have enough time. There's things for, for, for our church to do and accomplish. There's things that perhaps God would have you help with. But do you have a vision for service? Most of the world has a vision to be served. But Jesus said, the servant's the greatest of all. In the economy of God, serving is better than being served. But let's not serve grudgingly. Let's not serve with a bad attitude. You ever had somebody do something for you, but they do it with a terrible attitude? Fine, fine, I'll do it, fine. Doesn't that just warm your heart? Just makes you feel so loved with a scowl and harsh words. Let's just get out of ourselves. The more you sit around and want to be served and want to be waited on, the more miserable you're going to get. You ever notice on vacation, sometimes you don't get to vacate like you thought you would? Sometimes you come back more tired from vacation than you do. I should have just stayed at work. You know, it's interesting, and you start keeping track of this in your life. Your me time, the times where you demand your rights, the times where you say, okay, I've given enough, now I want everybody to give to me. All you're doing is just digging a hole of misery. Because what you're going to find is nobody's ever going to serve you like you think you deserve. And it's never enough. It's never enough. So what do you do? You serve. You love people. And you take care of other people's. And what you'll find is that if you take care of God, He'll make sure you get taken care of. But if you spend your life trying to take care of you, you're going to be a miserable human being. It's a vision for service. Let me say number five, a vision for souls. Don't turn to it. John chapter 1, verses 40 through 45 
we see that uh, two of those which heard John speak and followed him was uh, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth, his, first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. The, f- the day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip and saith unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Here's these men. They were listening to, to John the Baptist. And one said, I got to go tell my brother about Jesus. And then Jesus found another one. He said, I got to go tell my friend about Jesus. And see, we, we see in the scriptures a vision for souls. I think about the lady, the woman at the well. Here's a lady. She has a, a moment with Jesus. She realizes who Christ was. She ran back to the city and started telling everybody. It is a natural thing when you find the Messiah that you want other people to know about him. It's a natural thing that if, if there is a heaven and there is a hell and everybody's going to hell, but you know the way to heaven, it's a natural thing to say, I want you to go to heaven. The opposite of that is also true. It is an unnatural thing for a Christian to not care about lost people. It is unnatural for someone who claims the name of Christ to not have a burden for people in the community that are going to go to hell. It's unnatural. It's unnatural like a mother that doesn't want to take care of her children. It's unnatural like a man that won't work to take care of his family. It's unnatural. Vision for souls. Ask God to give you a vision for souls. Number six, we see a vision for stewardship. Vision for stewardship. 1 Corinthians 4, 2. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. We spend a January here is usually stewardship month, and we talk about time, talent, treasure, how to better manage our lives. Not, not so uh, for any other reason, so that we can do more with our lives. Listen, many of you, you're not getting pay raises, but inflation goes up. The, the groceries cost more. The oil costs more. Gas costs more. Uh, take, let me give you a thought. What if we do have enough money, we're just not doing what we should with it? Here's a thought. Everybody in here would say, I don't have enough money. Does that mean God's being bad to me? Or is it that God is giving me enough, I'm just not good at taking care of it? Proverbs says money will take wings and fly away. It comes hard and it leaves easy. You say, everybody in the room would say, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time to do what I need to do. Maybe we have enough time. We're just not very good at using it properly. See, this is what stewardship does. Stewardship looks at the facts and says, I'm going to stop blaming my situation. I'm going to stop blaming everything else. And I'm going to say, okay, 
how can I best care for what God has allowed me to possess? Because it really doesn't belong to me anyway. God's just allowing me to use it. And that's convicting for all of us. A vision for stewardship. Number seven, a vision for the sanctuary. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. We want a complete vision. A vision for the sanctuary. We speak of the church. I know I'm preaching to the choir today because you're the ones in church. But we all need to be reminded of good things. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Why should we do that? For he is faithful to promised. See, God's faithful to us. We should try to be faithful to him. Amen. Verse 24, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. How do we do that? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. So the Bible says clearly in this portion of Scripture that if you want to hold fast a good profession of faith, you want to be a strong Christian, and you want to consider one another to provoke unto love and good works to be what God wants you to be, then you can't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And the assembly is the church. A church is a called-out assembly of baptized believers. Sometimes people say, there's no verse in the Bible that tells me I have to go to church. And I'll say, no, God did one better. He gave you in the verse in the Bible that told you not to stop going to church. See, nowhere in the Bible do you find a Christianity without the assembly. There's nowhere in the Bible that tells you to eat. Why? Because you eat or you die. There's nowhere in the Bible that tells you to drink water. Why? You drink or you die. There's nowhere in the Bible that tells you to go to church. Why? Because Christians go to church. It's like breathing. It's like eating. It's like sleeping. But what God does say is don't stop going to church. That's a more powerful statement than if God told you to go in the first place. And we need to have a, a vision for the sanctuary. Where, where, where do you fit it in the church? How does your family go to church? You say, well, are we going to go to church this weekend? I think you ought to just decide you're going to go to church. I mean, if you're, in the, if you're not in the hospital and you're not on your deathbed somewhere, you just go to church. Stop looking for a better deal on Sunday. Stop looking for good weather. I'm, not going, to, I'm going to be in church when it's cold. I'm going to be in church when it's warm. I'm going to be in church in fishing season, in hunting season, and in, in, in snow season. I'm just going to be in church. See, that's a vision for the sanctuary. I'm going to be in my place. Uh, are we going to go to church this week, honey? Of course we're going to go to church. We always go to church. Why? Because I've got a vision for the sanctuary. I want to have a family that goes to church. I don't just want to go to church and sit. I want to go to church and serve. Maybe you can be an usher. Maybe you can uh, pass out bulletins. Maybe you can stand at the door and greet. Maybe you can uh, greet people in the parking lot. Maybe you can work in a Sunday school class or a children's ministry. See, a vision for the sanctuary is this is my crowd. This is where I'm going to be. The old Lee Robertson used to say three to thrive. I think every Christian ought to bare minimum go to church once a week. But I think the more church you get, the stronger of a Christian you're going to be. That's what the Bible says here. That if you want a strong profession, you want to hold fast your profession, 
go to church. Well, it seems to be that the, the more that I'm in church, the stronger my profession's going to be. And I've found that to be true. The more I'm in church, the more I'm provoked to love and good works. Don't miss this. Paul Chapman is a better Christian when I go to all the church services than if I don't go to all the church services. And the same is good for you. So it just matters what you want. What do you want in your life? What type of Christian do you want to be? A vision for the sanctuary. We say number eight, just quickly, a vision for our spouse. I'll just read these to you. Proverbs 5.18, let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Proverbs 18.22, whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. Ecclesiastes 9.9, live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of the life of thy vanity. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a vision for your marriage? Every man in this room, you ought to be striving to be the best husband you can be. You ought to have a vision in your mind of the kind of husband you're going to be and how you're going to treat your wife. And how you're going to honor your wife with the words you say, with how you help around the house, with how you provide, with how you love her. You provide security, not just financial, but emotional, spiritual. My wife's told me many times the most important to her, the most important word in our marriage vows is the word cherish. And she said, most ladies know they're loved, but they don't feel cherished. What a vision. What if I as a man could cherish my wife? What if I could be the spiritual leader? What if I could have control of my emotions and not yell? Not get angry? Not intimidate? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. I was at a church one time, a guy said, Park there a while, preacher. And, uh, in the Midwest, they'll say, shut that corn. So, yeah. See, this is where Christianity meets everyday life. Sometimes we like the theology, but we don't strive for the application. A vision. You ladies, do you have a vision for your marriage? Do you have a vision with what type of lady you want to be? Feminine, loving, sweet, kind, strong, helpful, supportive. See, what your husband needs more than even your love is your respect. A man feels love when he's respected. If he doesn't feel respected, he can't feel your love. You have a vision for your marriage? Well, we're just trying to get through. What a terrible way to live. See, God can give you a vision for your spouse. We say number nine, a vision for our sons and daughters. Psalm 127.3 says, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord. and The fruit of the womb is His reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are the children of youth. You have a vision for your children. 
kind of kids do you want? I want my kids to grow up and be rich and take care of me. That'd be nice. Probably not going to happen. I've had people tell me that. Well, if my kids just grow up and get enough money to take care of me, it's, I'll tease my son. I'll be like, one of these days you're gonna, I'm going to be old and decrepit. You're going to have to take care of me. <laughs> and uh, he'll, sometimes he'll say, I'm going to put you in the nursing home as soon as I can. You know, he'll, he'll be, he'll be, we'll be joking back and forth. Yeah, but the truth is, what kind of vision do we have for our children? Do we want them to be saved? Do we want them to love Jesus? Do we want them to be in church sitting next to us? Or serving in a church somewhere? Do we want our grandchildren to be reared in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? There are people in this room that you weep and cry because your, your grandchildren aren't saved. And perhaps you can't get them the gospel. There are people broken hearted because children have, have just chosen to go the wrong way. And make no mistake, our, all of our kids get to be a certain age where they are now responsible for their own decisions. Don't let the devil beat you with the stick your whole life. But what are we going to put in them? And perhaps your children are out of the house now. You can still love them. You can still pray for them. You can still encourage them to God. You can still encourage them not to make the same mistakes you made. See, all of us have influence in our children. Some of, the, some of your children are young. Give them memories of growing up in church. Give them memories of mom and dad happily riding to church together or, or, or of your single parent going to church together and, and loving God and all of that. And, and don't, don't be a gossip. Don't be a mean and hateful. Don't, don't, don't be grudgingly go to church. Boy, that sets a good tone for the kids. Well, we got to go to church today. Uh, boy, that's just going to make them love Jesus. You know, where's... Where's the vision? And every parent could go to God and say, Oh God, help my children to love you. Here's my whole child-rearing philosophy in a nutshell. Do the best you can and ask God to make up the difference. Because no matter how much of us, the scripture we know, no matter how hard we try, we all have gaps. My children have a sinful father. They have a sinful mother. But what if their sinful daddy could go to God every day and say, Oh God, would you make up in their life what I'm not giving them? And then help me to be a better dad every day. See, we have a vision for our sons and daughters. And lastly, a vision for sacrifice. Let me just read a verse. Matthew 16, 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Did you have a vision for sacrifice? You know, a lot of people, the multitudes followed Jesus because they wanted to see a miracle. They followed Jesus because they wanted some bread. They had a loved one they wanted healed. But when the hard preaching started, the multitudes turned away. See, Jesus knew it wasn't those 
multitude, those large crowds that were going to be there in the difficult times. Jesus taught his disciples that if you have a vision for sacrifice, then you can enjoy the mountaintops and still stay faithful in the valley. Christianity was born in suffering. Your salvation was purchased through a gruesome death. And we find hope in the resurrection. What makes us think that we're going to live a life walking on rose petals? Who do we think we are that the minute something goes bad in our lives, we shake our fist at God? And we say, how could you do this to me? And God looks down from heaven and he points to the cross and said, how could you do that to my son? But see, when you have a vision for sacrifice, you're not surprised when life hurts. You're not surprised when it costs something to stay faithful to God. If any man will come after me, let him take up his cross. Let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. The Christian life's a life of sacrifice. But it's a rewarding life like none other. How's your vision? Let's ask today the Lord for a complete vision. Perhaps one of these areas spoke to your heart. May God give us a complete vision for our lives as we strive to serve him. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. If you're here this morning, you're not sure you're saved, we'd love to take a Bible and show you how you can know for sure. If you're here this morning, God spoke to your heart. Don't leave the same way you came. Ask God what he wants from you. Ask God how you can be different. Ask God to give you a vision. Complete vision. Father, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts. Lord, we're grateful that you can give us a vision that promotes life and happiness. I pray today that we would receive your vision, that we would desire it, and that we would strive to be what you would have us to be. We're so empty on our own. But Lord, if we could just get close to you, fulfill your vision, seek you first, everything else falls into place. Pray that you'd bless each person here. Bless the decisions that will be made and help us be different because of the message today. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Let's stand.